The internet is decreasing in privacy and increasing in utility. Under some conditions, this trade-off makes sense. We publicize our profile photos so that people know what we look like. Under other conditions, this trade-off does not make sense. We do not want a television that costs less to purchase because it is silently recording all of the conversations that take place in the room and selling them to the highest bidder. The example of the TV that records everything you say, just because it's cheaper, which is actually a real thing. This this product actually exists. Samsung makes it. I have a link in the show notes. But this illustrates a trade-off of the internet. The advertising industry pushes towards lower marginal costs for the products and services in exchange for less privacy. Someday we will live in a world where it will be easy for consumers to control the dial on the trade-off between privacy and the price of the services that they get from the internet. Until then, we have almost zero control over what information the advertising surveillance industrial complex knows about us. Bill Buddington is a security engineer with the Electronic Frontier Foundation. In today's episode, Bill describes some of the current techniques used by the advertising industry to track your activity through the web. Bill works on encryption tools as well as Panopticlick, a project that allows users to see what trackers they are vulnerable to. Software Engineering Daily is having our third meetup, and I hope you're able to attend. It's Wednesday, May 3rd at Galvanize in San Francisco. The theme of this meetup is fraud and risk in software. We're going to have great food, we're going to have engaging speakers, and there's always a friendly, intellectual atmosphere. To find out more, go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash meetup. Bill Buddington is a security engineer with the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Bill, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hi, thanks for having me. We had a previous show about web tracking, and that was with someone from Ghostery. In that show, we covered the basic engineering concepts of web tracking. In this episode, I'd like to explore web tracking more deeply and talk about some of the subjective decisions around tracking. You work at the EFF. That means that your opinions will be less filtered than someone who works at a corporation, and we will get into net neutrality because that's been in the news lately, and I'm sure you have some thoughts on it. Let's start with web tracking. What is wrong with the way that users are tracked on the web today? Well, so if we go back to 1998, uh, you have the situation where users were being tracked, but they were being tracked in a kind of transparent way via cookies. They can use the normal mechanisms within their browsers to actually just flush those cookies out and have a fresh start. Ever since then, we've been seeing more and more pernicious and underhanded ways that trackers uh, and advertisers have used technologies of the web to track users. Uh, one particularly uh, pernicious thing that trackers are doing is they're using the fingerprint of your browser. This is a kind of a combination of web headers and JavaScript detected properties from your browser that you can use to kind of get a unique signature of what your browser looks like. Other technologies have been used such as Evercookies. Evercookies are this way that you can uh, have a collusion between the cookies that are stored in your browser and those that are stored in something like Flash or Silverlight 
or Java plugins. And so whatever cookies do is um, if you delete cookies in, say, uh, Flash and Silverlight, then Java code can be used to propagate the cookies back um, to the Flash and Silverlight uh, add-ons. So basically, it's very kind of underhanded. It's subverting the normal mechanisms that users are used to kind of, you know, deleting their cookies or, you know, using private browsing mode. But for fingerprinting, for instance, you can't do that. You can't actually be assured that you won't be tracked just because you're using private browsing mode. There are a bunch of these companies who track me through the internet where I'm not aware of these companies. I'm not aware of giving them any sort of permission to track me. What does the law say about consent? There's no real data protection regime for users within the U.S. There are laws on the books in Europe, uh, but those don't apply here. And so when you are browsing the web, there's no real way for you to be sure that you're not being tracked unless you install add-ons and employ technologies that make sure that you're protected. So, for instance, one of the things that we develop here at EFF is an add-on called Privacy Badger. And that'll kind of give you a good indication of when you're being tracked. But unfortunately, there's no real way to know whether the remote site that you're accessing is just delivering that data to third parties behind the scenes via um, special deals or whatever relationship they might have with trackers. So, yeah, a lot of the companies are pretty sneaky about what they're doing, and they're not, you know, sites that you might have heard of. You might have heard of Add This because they are added on a lot of websites to share different, um, to share articles on your social networks. But, you know, um, things like uh, Ligatus or uh, Silverpush are companies that you don't necessarily know about. And behind the scenes, there are uh, there are trackers that are gathering your data and uh, using that to figure out what sites that you've been on um, and uh, more broadly, your browsing habits. When people talk about tracking, I think they're usually thinking of it in terms of something has been put on their browser to track them from the browser's point of view, and that browser information gets sent back to the company that's tracking them. But you also just described a type of tracking where if I log into beefrecipes.com, beefrecipes.com is uh, is tracking that user session or logging that user session, whatever terminology you want to use, and then they might share that with some external uh, broker or somebody who wants to sell me ads directly. So there's multiple types of web tracking that we could be talking about. Yeah, and by far the most common form of web tracking is via third-party inclusion of scripts or fonts or some kind of resource that's loaded on a web page that isn't actually a part of directly of the site that you're accessing. Um, in a recent study by the Center for Information Technologies, um, 
uh, at uh, a policy at Princeton um, has found that the majority or the basically the, the largest amount trackers are loaded on news sites. And so news sites are, you know, including a bunch of scripts from trackers that you don't, you know, when you're going to NewYorkTimes.com, it's not New York Times tracking you. It's the inclusion of third-party scripts that are tracking you. Um, and that might be fonts. It might just be directly advertising. Um, so advertisers are a big, big uh, way that third parties are included in news sites. And, and often they're keeping tabs on what kind of information you're accessing. And additionally, um, it's one of the uh, impediments to actually news sites adopting HTTPS is that, you know, they can't adopt HTTPS because ads uh, are only loaded on insecure sites. And if they're dependent on ad revenue, then, you know, unless their ad servers are also um, so supporting HTTPS, then the ads won't actually load um, because of something called mixed content blocking. So basically you have the situation where even if new sites or sites that are including third-party trackers want to move to HTTPS, they actually can't. Um, so the problem of tracking is kind of related to the pro problem of encryption in general. We had Brendan Ike on the show recently, and he talked about the state of JavaScript, which he created, and he talked about his new browser that he's working on, Brave. One of the examples he gave of the brokenness of the advertising ecosystem is the New York Times having malware being delivered through their ad network, basically, you know, display ads that were served to users, uh, caused either caused malware directly or linked to malware um and you know i think that's the extreme example there's plenty of things in between uh malware uh and a clean ad experience that are uh different shades of annoying or threatening or privacy encroaching it's no surprise that people are that advertisers i'm sorry brands i should say are moving to Facebook, where it's more of a walled garden, Twitter, where it's more kind of more of a walled garden, you know, moving more of their dollars to Google, uh, who at least maybe, you know, clearly from the recent YouTube uh, advertisements on extremist videos, you know, Google doesn't have a great handle on things, but they've probably got a better handle on things than the average uh, ad delivery service. Talk about the incentives of the giant companies like Google, Facebook, Amazon, and how they handle web tracking. Yeah, so Google acquired DoubleClick a little while ago, and I think this has incentivized them to care less about privacy than they obviously do about security. Google has a world-class security team. And because of that, the dangers of Google ads, I presume, are decreased. Um, you know, if there's an ad network out there that's delivering malware with their ads, then I suspect that they have 
less protections than Google ads and double click does. Um, you know, there might be idiosyncrasies in the business model that Google employs, but, um, by and large, Google takes that into consideration very well. One of the things that, uh, is lacking behind is privacy. And this is indicated by the fact that, uh, and this will kind of dovetail into talking about Panopticlick, where their browser is very unique. And so you can actually, uh, tell via these different properties that are included in Chrome browser, um, that like exactly what that browser looks like and, uh, has, has, uh, very uniquely identifiable properties when users are, are using it. Not to say that something like Firefox doesn't, but Firefox is moving in a direction that, um, kind of precludes a lot of the worst tracking mechanisms. For instance, uh, what Firefox started to do in their private browsing mode is employ tracking protection. Uh, and it, it basically, it includes a list that has been cultivated by an add-on disconnect and uses that as a, a way to block malicious trackers um, and this is not something that is currently in incognito mode for Chrome. So I think that we need to have Google do better in terms of privacy. They're already doing, uh, you know, a world-class spectacular job in terms of security, but privacy is something that they're unfortunately less and less concerned about. And I think this, you know, is basically a, uh, a example of or a result of their business model becoming more and more reliant on advertising in general. Your concerns with privacy have led you to working on Panopticlick. Panopticlick lets a user diagnose how much non-consensual web tracking is occurring on their browser. Panopticlick is named after as far as I know, the Panopticon, which is a building design that allows for all of the people in the building to be observed without knowing whether they are being watched. The Panopticon was originally designed for, I think, insane asylums and prisons, uh, and it evokes something chilling because people who don't know whether they are being observed or not at any given time... Uh, there's a chilling effect that uh, happens to their behavior because they won't uh, act as freely. Uh, generally, you know, human behavior suggests that. So, why is Panopticlick named after the Panopticon? And what does Panopticlick do? So, Panopticlick measures these unique properties of your browser, and it's basically uh, a volunteer-driven data project. We wanted to get an idea of how unique people's browsers were um, using fingerprinting techniques, using this kind of unique combination of browser headers and JavaScript-detected properties. And so when we launched Panopticlick, it was an effort not only to see how unique people's browsers were, but also to give them a good uh, understanding of how unique their own browsers were. Um, and it does this by combining a bunch of different unique facts. 
So for instance, we measure the uh, user agent that's delivered upon every request in combination with the language that the user is delivering, uh, in combination with the content types that your browser supports, in combination with uh, the fonts that might be detected via font uh, fingerprinting or um, other more advanced techniques. And so what happens is uh, there are, you know, what's called uh, in information theory bits of entropy, um, which you can gather via techniques that we employ on Panopticlick. And once we gather these unique bits of information, um, you can combine those to get a clearer picture of what the user's browser looks like. So it's not just, you know, one property, but it's the combination of all these properties that you can use to, to get that unique picture. And we measure that and we also provide a result of, hey, this is the, you know, only time that we've ever seen a browser with these properties, which is actually most of the time, uh, the vast majority of the time, users' browsers are uniquely fingerprintable. And, um, you know, or you have some protections against this, um, and we can give that result depending on how your browser measures up against other browsers that we've seen in the past. We'll talk more about the engineering in a sec, but I would like to know, why is it called Panopticlick? It's just a way to basically, we thought it was a good analogy to uh, the original Panopticon developed by Jeremy Bentham. Um, this was something that was meant to observe the movements of prisoners and their behaviors as they went about their daily business in the prison. And so we thought this was a great analogy for what trackers are attempting to do to see users' browsing habits, see what they're looking at, um, how they behave uh, as they traverse the web. And it's really like the, the scary part about it is that the totality of the observation of these different you know, in the case of the Panopticlick, it was, or Panopticon, it was the prisoners, but the, um, the ubiquity and omnipresence of trackers on the web has really, really increased. Um, it, you know, in the late nineties, it was only 5% of web pages that included trackers. And now it's, you know, the vast majority, I think it's about 85%. Or so I can get that figure for you. We can uh, add that. Well, but, you, don't, yeah. you, you don't have to convince me of the totality because the Panopticon model, where you have this building that is structured such that there are little observation panels into every room, that would seem innocent compared to what we have today or the future that we are asymptoting towards where you have smart TVs that you can't even tell if they're on. You have uh, Google Home sitting on your desk, and I, you know, I don't know if you have one or if you've used one, but it is such an effective utility. Uh, I, I've, I use it, uh, you know, I probably use it 40 times a day, 30 times a day, uh, and uh, I don't want to start to cast aspersions because I know it's, you know, I know that Google would, would dispute me on this, but 
I swear there are, and it could just be my phone doing this, but I swear there are times where I say something and minutes later I get served an ad and there should be no way for the internet to know that I want that thing other than if they were recording what I said. Like, I don't know. Has that ever happened to you? I haven't had that experience myself. I don't use Google Home, uh, but the problem with these technologies is that it's really opaque what they're doing. So when you say, you know, well, I won't say what the keyword is because maybe your listeners will have that ordered for them, but like get me a dollhouse, which was actually said um, on a program uh, in San Diego and you know everyone's uh device everyone's uh home assistants actually ordered them a dollhouse because it was said on the program um when you say that kind of thing you don't know where that data is going what's being done with it it's not transparent um so we have no idea what they're doing with our data once it's actually delivered to the remote servers we do know that it's not being processed on our local devices. We know that it's being delivered to the cloud. And we know we can be pretty uh, well assured that they're doing something involving advertising with that data because these are big data-driven advertising-driven uh, companies. That's how they get their revenue. But we can't actually know what's, what's happening uh, behind the scenes. And that's really scary. We have this kind of situation where our data is leaking all the time. And most people kind of think that this is just to give us, you know, better advertising. One recent um, NPR story talked of a woman who was uh, looking up alcohol abuse counseling online. And minutes later, she had the local liquor store being advertised to her. And so, you know, is that a form of better advertising? Um, maybe it is. I mean, from the perspective of the liquor store, that does get them more business because this is someone who is more likely to buy alcohol because they're looking, they're, you know, addicted to it. And so, you know, this isn't like a, a side effect. It's the intended purpose. Uh, these advertising. So, um, you know, one of the, another uh, very pernicious example of this is described in a recent book, um, by Kathy O'Neill, um, which is called Weapons of Math Destruction, talks about these, uh, diploma mills and how those that are kind of lumped into a category of low income users on the web because of their browsing habits are advertised universities that the diploma for which you get from them isn't really worth the paper that it's printed on. And the people that are getting advertised uh, these diploma mills don't have the level of social access to know that this is going to not help them in life. And so these algorithms aren't just providing me better advertising, they're actually providing a social ill. And that's something that I think is lost on a lot of people, that they don't know that it's just, you know, they think it's just uh, better advertising for me so that I'll get products that I want. But it's 
you know, coming more and more reaching into uh, more uh, uh, deeply entrenched uh, position in our society. It's actually kind of becoming part of the social fabric in, in a lot of ways. When I go to the Panopticlick website, I run these tests against my browser. Describe more what is going on when I'm running those tests. Sure. So in the classical Panopticlick, what we had happen was basically every time your browser accesses a website, it delivers these little text fields called headers. And those uh, happen no matter if you have JavaScript turned off or turned on or whatever. Um, there's always going to be web headers that are delivered to uh, a website that you access by your browser. Uh, in addition, we read, if you had JavaScript turned on, we employed techniques that would basically figure out certain things about your browser in a more uh, unique way or intimate way. So we would try to enumerate the fonts that you have installed, try to see what plugins you had installed, if any. Um, now we have, you know, the number of touch points that your device is advertising. And, um, you know, there are a bunch of different JavaScript detected properties that you can actually, uh, that you can actually determine based on a user's browser. And so we kind of look at those and see how many, for each of these, how many other users have had the same result. Uh, and we use a formula um, that uh, is derived from basic information theory to give you a, a quantified result of what exact, exactly how much bits of entropy uh, or uniqueness um, that you have for any one of these categories. And also we provide a summation of all of these combined, how unique you are. Um, since the version two of Panopticlick, which was launched in December of 2015, we've also included a number of other tests. These tests aren't about fingerprinting, they're about how well you're protected from third-party trackers. And so we employ a tracker blocker detection test the, the way that we do this is um, kind of interesting. So there are trackers that, um, there, there are tracker blockers that block trackers in any uh, number of ways. The three most common are uh, based on URL fragments. So if your URL path looks like it's a tracking beacon, say like it has something like add underscore server equals uh, in the URL, then that looks like an advertiser or like, you know, um, tracker underscore ID equals, then that looks like a tracker. You know, most of them aren't that obvious, but, um, so those are uh, using URL fragments. Other blockers use, uh, blacklists to determine which servers are actually requesting tracking information from your browser. And for, uh, Privacy Badger, for instance, we employ a heuristic approach. So 
we determine what third parties are setting cookies and uh, and which of them look like trackers based on their behavior. So for each three of these categories, Panopticlick um, mimics trackers uh, and we have a number of domains that we've set up that look a lot like trackers. So if you're tracking blocking is working properly, then those domains will actually be blocked after we've finished the test. Um, if it's not configured correctly or it's turned off, then those domains won't be blocked. And so across three of these third-party domains, we kind of can get a good sense of how well your tracker blocker is working. And then we display a result based on that. Um, we also have results that indicate whether your browser is complying with our do not track policy, um, which I can get into. Um, basically, there is this initiative at EFF to have trackers uh, promise not to and actually provide a privacy policy, which is actionable, not to track users. And so if uh, an ad company, an ad tech company, um, is not tracking users, then they can actually post this very well-defined um, document uh, that stipulates the ways in which and they, uh, they are not tracking users behind some well-known location in their domain, um, behind their web route, basically. And so this means that once you are accessing ads from that site, then you can be assured that they're not actually tracking you in some deep way or some unknown way that they're just providing those ads. And we don't want to block them. So once they provide this policy uh, and, uh, and you know, post this on their site, this is an indication that we can actually serve their content with, with a privacy badger. So the second test is to basically tell whether your, I'm sorry, this is a third test, is to tell whether uh, your uh, browser is allowing those resources because we know that they're not tracking you. Yes, and I executed this test on myself and I only got a green check mark for the one that I was running an ad blocker. Uh, so I guess I have some work to do. I recommend everybody else who is listening to check out Panopticlick and and try it out for themselves to get a better understanding of what is going on in terms of tracking through their browser. Um, I want to talk about net neutrality. I want to talk about EFF's position on net neutrality and your personal position. Uh, I would love to love to talk more about Panopticlick too, but I wanted to get into these other topics because. It's fairly topical right now. Um, the FCC has changed its standards on net neutrality in the last couple days. Explain what these changes mean for corporations and for users. So the stipulations on the FCC that they that basically say that broadband providers can't just fork over your data to the highest bidder or that you uh, that they can't, for instance, 
modify traffic in real time. There's pretty good regulations that have been enacted. Um, well, they were enacted uh, last year. And this, under the new FCC chairman, this uh, is really um, kind of being revoked in a very, very alarming way. So what we see is we've seen a big push by the broadband providers to actually make sure that they can your traffic advertise to you, um, put tracking beacons in your traffic and do all the sorts of things that they, you know, had been doing. They don't have a very good track record of, of uh, protecting users' privacy, unfortunately, um, but that they have been doing and were told to stop. So usually um, this comes in the form of, you know, um, unencrypted traffic being able to be picked up and they can insert ads, they can use their privileged uh, position on your network path to see exactly what you're accessing and to provide uh, targeted advertising or monetize your user data. And so that's something that we've been very vociferously fighting against in the last few weeks. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much the, the kind of long and short of what has been going on. Um, as far as I understand the latest, and I'm not sure if this will change by the, t- the time you broadcast, but the latest is that this has passed both houses of Congress and it is going to sit before President Trump's desk. Uh, hopefully the very privacy, um, centric and anti, uh, big business, anti, um, you know, drain the swamp crowd can come out in full force and say, Hey, look, if you want to drain the swamp, then there's a way to do it. And it's to not sign this into law to actually stand up for Americans and make sure that, uh, this isn't just a, uh, sell off of users data actually put something into law that makes it so that this their their uh, rights are protected rather than rescinded. But it sounds like what you're saying is that even regardless of where this legislation went, we would pretty much be in the same situation regardless because these policies are pretty hard to enforce. Uh, you know, obviously we would rather have policies that... Uh, we're navigating us towards a world uh, that enforces consumer privacy. But it sounds like what you're saying is that, in effect, these policies were not being policed. And the FCC often lacks the enforcement mechanisms to make it so that user, I mean, so that companies will uh, will actually have real protections. I mean, this isn't always the case. I mean, so... In very particular circumstances, um, the, well, you know, federal regulators have stepped in, uh, and made sure that advertising companies can't do the worst abuses of, of the past that they've been found to, to be doing. Um, so not the FCC, uh, not the FCC, but the FTC, uh, was issuing letters to users, uh, sorry, to applications, which included 
this Silver Push SDK. Um, Silver Push is a company that basically does inaudible tracking beacons to emitted from your TV to link your devices up. It's a technology called cross-device tracking. And last year, uh, the FTC, and basically the, if it, if an app has the Silver Push SDK installed and, uh, you know, it's installed on your phone or on your, uh, tablet or whatever, and it's in the same room as an advertisement, which is played from your TV, which has a, uh, audible or sorry an audio beacon that isn't audible that's basically too high of a pitch for the human ear to pick up but your device can still listen to that um and so uh solar push is a company that was basically providing this technology to advertisers to give more to kind of link your devices in that room and make sure that there's a uh picture of of who you are based on numerous of your devices not just your tv so um, the FTC last year actually bit them and um, apps that had a uh, Silver Push SDK, in, you know, included in, in their code were given a harsh warning. Now, we don't know which apps they were because the letter didn't indicate which apps were actually doing this. But um, they were given a harsh warning about, um, hey, you might be in violation of the law if you continue to do this type of tracking. Um, and this is like one of the kind of things which is, which is, you know, on the bleeding edge of what tracking means, right? Like this is something, you know, linking your devices uh, up between them and um, using... Uh, you know, behavioral fingerprinting to tell when a user has switched browsers um, based on their unique typing patterns. Things like that are used to be the, the world of, of science fiction. And increasingly, it's becoming a reality as trackers become smarter and smarter. Unfortunately, there's not a good data protection regime in the U.S. to protect users against the worst of these abuses. And in the last few weeks, we've seen that the carriers and the broadband providers are given more license to track users and to insert targeted advertising in the traffic stream. There are technologies, and the only way for users to protect themselves is to use technologies that we can provide um, to prevent these abuses from happening. I mean, in the, at the EFF, we fight for the best in the legislative world so that we fight against the worst kind of abuses happening. We fought against the repeal of the FCC protections and we'll continue to do so. Um, one of the big things that users can do is to install software such as Privacy Badger, such as HTTPS Everywhere, which is a software project that I maintain. Uh, and we've developed here at EFF, uh, such as downloading the Tor browser as well. I mean, one of the great things about the Tor browser is that it has, you know, the Tor browser uh, and the folks that are de developing it have put a lot of effort into making sure that you're anonymous when you use it. 
And so it makes, when you use Panopticlick with Tor Browser, it gives you a very, very good result in terms of fingerprintability because a Tor Browser puts you in a pool of users that pretty much all look the same. Uh, everyone using the Tor Browser looks very, very similar, if not the same. Um, so there are good protection mechanisms that users can can uh, themselves install on their machines to make sure that they're not suffering the worst abuses of trackers. It seems inevitable that our meat space world is colliding with this violent uh, and widespread use of tracking and retargeting and poorly designed advertising experiences. Uh, it seems like this collision is occurring faster than the advertising ecosystem is improving. I mean, you're starting to see information come out into the public eye about ad fraud and uh, advertising malware. And uh, I mean, I've been doing so many shows about it, uh, so maybe I'm biased. Uh, but in any case, it seems like this this intersection is happening too fast for certainly any kind of government regulation that I can imagine in the near future inhibiting it. To the contrary, government seems to prefer to piggyback on it and use it as a tool for surveillance. Okay, we're already surveilling you because we're already incentivized to, you know, Google or or uh, name your sketchy ad tech company is incentivized to track you. Uh, NSA says, well, that's convenient for us. We'll just piggyback on that and track you uh, to make sure that you're not a terrorist. So... At this point, I have kind of personally made my peace with this world that we're moving towards. Uh, I hope it is, uh, you know, I hope there are different shades of privacy depending on where, uh, where in meat space I am. Maybe I have to, maybe I have to have a, a part of my house that has um, no computers in it, and it's got walls that are insulated in certain ways to prevent electronic stuff from, you know, maybe that's my bedroom. Uh, but philosophically, what are the social norms that we need to deal with this new world, given that the panopticon is going to be everywhere and it's, it's increasingly feeling inevitable? I think that you touched on a really interesting point, which is that this isn't black or white. This, there are gradations and you can have some privacy, um, without having you know total privacy all the time. So for instance, you can envision having a browser that you have a slider on it. And you basically, if you want total protection, um, then that comes at a cost of functionality of the web, right? So like if I want to play video games in my browser and have real-time chats over the web, then that is enabling functionality that alternatively can be used to track me. But that doesn't mean that I have to enable that on every single site that I visit. We can, you know, kind of envision a world where there are different gradations 
of, okay, I want this site to be able to enable these web feature rich web technologies. But, you know, this site over here is just, you know, news. I don't necessarily need everything that can be used to track me enabled on my, on my browser. Um, I think that like this is mostly a problem of user education when users aren't aware of the fact that they can be tracked, uh, in every single aspect of their lives, then they don't get angry about it. They don't get it any, they don't have any incentive to think of anything better. So one of the big things that we try to do at EFF is to have user education happen. Uh, we give, you know, these training sessions on how to better protect yourself, but also to have users be aware of the risks. Um, you know, I think that there are things that you can do and kind of build into your common habits that are maybe a step in the right direction. So if you have an Amazon Echo, for instance, you don't need that device listening all the time. There's a mute button that you can have. I mean, there's a mute button on the device that you can press and it won't listen all the time. Yeah, maybe that's a sacrifice for usability, but it also comes with the assurance that your every word isn't being uploaded to the cloud or that a hacker can't come along and find a vulnerability in the Amazon Echo and use it as a remote listening device. Um, so that's something that users can do. And that only comes with user education when users know that the Echo is listening for that, you know, trigger word. That means that it's listening all the time for that trigger word. Um, so, you know, I think that that's something that can be done on an everyday level for users. What is something that requires more engineering is for us to be assured that our products have some kind of a hardware switch that they can't listen to us if we flip this hardware switch, right? Like if the Amazon Echo, for instance, had disconnected the circuit to the microphone if I had a button in a certain, you know, that, that actually does that, that disconnects that circuit. Um, these are things that are hardware requirements that we should demand that companies actually build into products in order to give good privacy guarantees. Um, but I think that that's not going to happen unless users know the risks. So that's the first step to get users aware of what the risks are so that they can better protect themselves in the short term and demand better privacy uh, in the hardware controls and in the privacy policies and uh, and in the way that these companies behave in the long term. Okay, Bill. Well, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. It's been great talking to you. Uh, it's always nice to talk to the EFF folks. I've already done a couple shows with different EFF people, and um, it's always a pleasant conversation because you guys are removed, or I shouldn't say you guys, your you your team is removed uh, from the the censorious trappings of corporations or governments. Yeah, I mean we work with them too. I mean they they are concerned about how they are perceived in the world. They want their users to be protected, uh, and they don't want bad media, and so. We often consult with these corporations and try to make their products better and try to advise them 
on how they can be better. And sometimes it's a matter of, you know, them actually being pernicious or them not wanting to take user considerations into, uh, into, uh, uh, their, their worldview. But more often it's just that they don't know what their devices are capable of. They kind of want to develop a product and have it be cool and put it out to the world. But sometimes that does, you know, does ill to the world if it actually can cause problems and actually impacts people's security or privacy. And it's not always, you know, the fault of the companies that they want to create a cool thing and have it be delivered to the users. Sometimes they just kind of need that reminder that some of the stuff that they're developing could be used for harm. Bill, thank you so much. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you.